I want to begin today by asking a question. What is the good life? How would you define it? What does the the good life look like to you? What does it mean to, to live a life marked by meaning and contentment? Now, of course, there are many different visions, aren't there? And of course, some are better than others. So one, probably not as good one, but a popular vision of what the good life looks like is often best captured by beer commercials. (laughs) Beer commercials are filled with those young, attractive people who like to dance and have a good time. They're on the beach and they're just, woo, right? And these commercials are telling us that that the good life is, is having a good time and hanging out with your friends. Our commercials are telling us that the folks who savor life the best will also savor their beer. Now, inevitably, we discover, some of us from trial and error, but, but we discover eventually that just having a good time is not enough to bring about a fulfilled life. Certainly, there is a place for a good time in life, right, and a place for celebration, but we know that it can't define our lives. Nor should having a lot of stuff or a lot of money define our lives. Yes, it's nice to have enough and to not live in anxiety about paying bills or or making ends meet. But so much of the, the wealth accumulation that our society celebrates is just pouring money into a bottomless pit of desire. We could say the same thing about fame and notoriety, too. These things will only take us so far. So most of us, when we reflect on it, we know that a good life is marked by a quality of life and by the quality of our relationships. Friends and or family seem to be marks of a life well-lived. So, too, does meaningful work and and tasks uh, that that also are important. And, of course, because we are all joined together, one to another as human beings, a, a certain amount of freedom from oppression and freedom from injustice and violence would seem to, that would also be marks of the good life. Now, I'm not saying that the oppressed cannot live the good life, but oppression and injustice threaten the quality of life because oppressed people are constantly under the thumb of the powerful. But in any case, I bring this all up because it seems to me that that one of the ways that we can interpret the argument that Peter has with Jesus this morning is about this question of what is a good life. And if this is so, if we can interpret this argument in that way, then it's probably worthwhile admitting that our natural inclination is to agree with Peter's view of the good life over Jesus' view of the good life. Let me focus in on the text so we can see this. So Peter, as you might remember from last week, Peter has proclaimed Jesus to be the Messiah, the anointed one of God. 
And Jesus, for his part, affirms Peter's pronouncement and declares that Peter and his declaration would be the rock on which Jesus would build his church. And Jesus goes on to give the disciples a vision of a powerful church, where even the power of death would not prevail against it. But then, oddly, Jesus tells the disciples not to tell anyone that he is the Messiah. And then, to make matters worse, he proceeds to tell the disciples that he must suffer at the hands of the religious authorities in Jerusalem and be killed and then rise again on the third day. And for his part, this makes Peter distraught, and he pulls Jesus aside, and he tries to correct Jesus. Now, on the surface, it, it seems like it would take a lot of nerve on Peter's part to try to rebuke the person that he just called Messiah. But to Peter's mind, Jesus is being unreasonable. And worse than being unreasonable, Jesus seems not to understand his role and his purpose as Messiah. To Peter, the Messiah is to usher in a new era, an era defined by freedom and justice. To Peter's vision, a vision supported by Scripture and the tradition, the Messiah is to free the people of Israel from Roman occupation and oppression and to usher in a time of prosperity. Peter might even have allowed himself to think that this Messiah would represent a vindication of God, of the God of Israel over the nations, and would bring about a utopia of sorts, a, a peaceable kingdom in line with the vision of many of the prophets. In short, Peter has in mind a vision of the good life. He envisions a life lived in a realm of freedom and justice where, where people can raise their families and worship God in peace, where where God's abundance could be enjoyed and celebrated in just ways. Peter envisions the Messiah will usher in a triumphant and glorious age. An age where the good life would be inevitable. But Jesus does not share Peter's vision. Instead, Jesus speaks of of suffering and death. And to Peter's ears, this rising on the third day business seems far-fetched, and moreover, he's not even sure what Jesus means by it. And so, this is why Peter tries to correct Jesus with rebukes, hoping that Jesus will see the error of his ways. But Jesus doesn't, does he? He doubles down. Jesus gives Peter whiplash by calling him Satan. I mean, Peter goes from the rock on which the church is built in one sentence, right, to being Satan in the next, seemingly. The blink of an eye, right? It's brutal. It's brutal. And then Jesus, he lays out this, the way that discipleship will look like, right? To follow Jesus means denying oneself and and taking up one's cross. For Jesus' first listeners, the cross 
has none of the metaphorical qualities that we like to assign to it. For those first listeners, the cross was only, only an object of of a painful and humiliating death. So here is Jesus' vision of the good life. And if this is so, then let's admit that Jesus' vision of the good life seems far more stark than Peter's, right? To say the least. Maybe even more bleak. Jesus offers these followers a life of self-denial, that it has all of the potential of looking like a shameful defeat. If it is not, let's admit that this is not what we hope for or imagine. And yet Jesus assures us that in this self-denial, in this self-giving, we will truly find our lives, our true lives. For the vision that Jesus puts forward is that the good life is a life lived in loving relationship with God and neighbor. The good life is loving God with our whole being and loving our neighbors as ourselves. But if we're to live this way, truly live this way, then it will mean risk. It will mean giving of ourselves in in loving and risky solidarity with those who are marginalized and ostracized. It'll mean speaking truth to power. It will be dangerous. Jesus' vision is that our lives are interconnected, and that we are bundled up with one another. For our life to be good, that it will necessarily involve the well-being of others. It is simply impossible, in Jesus' mind, to live the good life at the expense of others. Nor can we live a good life by just taking care of our own. If we are only going to take care of ourselves and those who we are connected to in in a community, if we can't look outside of the bounds of our, our communities, then we risk losing the meaning of our lives in the hope of saving it. But to Jesus's vision, as we give of ourselves, as we reach out across those boundaries that divide us, then we truly discover our lives as we come to care for the lives of others. As such, Jesus longs for his followers, his church, to be in the world, especially in places where the need is the greatest. And this being in the world will take small forms and large. Of course, this week, all of our hearts have been with the people of Houston and Texas as they suffer from the effects of Hurricane Harvey. And if you haven't given to a relief organization, then please consider giving to Episcopal Relief and Development, which will tap into the networks on the ground and can listen and respond to the actual needs of the people there. But to make a, even a small donation, that, is a, that in and of itself is a small act of self-denial, the type that Jesus calls us to make. 
And when we do so, even in that small act, it can have a profound effect, not just in the lives of others, but in our own lives as well. Here is a small way that this self-giving can manifest itself. And the challenge, to my mind, becomes committing to this sort of engagement when the momentary disaster is finished and the spectacle is over, because the effects are going to remain. In any case, this is just one possible example of self-giving that points to the good life. The good life is bundled up with service to others. And Jesus invites us to participate in the love and compassion that God has for all people. And as Jesus came among us to share his compassion and his vision and to give his life as a ransom for all, so too we are invited to step outside of ourselves and to give of ourselves so that we might reveal the kingdom of God in our presence and in our actions. God is self-giving love from eternity. This is what it means to say that God is Trinity. And God creates us to participate in the sharing of this love. God creates us so that we might be recipients of God's love and then share this love with others. So if you long for the good life, and I know you all do, If you long for the good life, then know you will find it in sharing, in the sharing of this love. Amen.